Welcome, everyone, to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 54, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, The Emperor and the Hanged Man, part one. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. Are you okay? <laughs> After this episode, no. <laughs> Even though I know, like, obviously, we're going to talk about Avdol's demise, but... Us knowing the future and having foresight, you know, he'll be okay for a little bit. Um, so yeah, there, there's that. And also I'm fighting seasonal allergies. They are coming in strong now uh, for the pre-fall <laughs> season. Yeah, I feel like we, you and I get seasonal allergies as we approach September. But for some reason this, this summer, we probably mentioned a thousand times on our two podcasts, but... For some reason, this summer, the allergies have been ongoing since spring, so it's a bit torturous, but, you know, we just got a couple more months to go. Yeah, so apologies for how my voice probably sounds right now, but we're gonna, we're gonna push through it. And speaking of pushing through things, I don't know how that's really a relevant transition. We are in the final stretch of our part three review series before we switch over to Stone Ocean, which premieres September 1st. Man, that is creeping up. I can't believe we're, what, less three weeks away? Yeah. So what's going to happen is I know that we're on our, our typical bi-weekly schedule for Strictly JoJo, um, similar to our last review series for Stone Ocean for the first batch of episodes, we're going to switch to weekly review episodes as we go through the second batch of Stone Ocean. So if it premieres on September 1st, that means the first episode that will go live for Stone Ocean here on Strictly JoJo will be on September 5th. And then again, every week after that until we hit episode 24, 24 just 12 yeah. to 24. Um, 13 to 24. Oh, yeah, 13 to 24. Thank you. Uh, we'll be yeah, we'll be re releasing an episode every single week up until that point, and then we'll switch back to Stardust Crusaders in a bi-weekly format. So look forward to that. Um, we're going to get through The Emperor and the Hangman Part 1 today, and then Part 2 in two weeks, and then it starts Stone Ocean, and I can't fucking wait. But speaking of Stone Ocean, there's a bit of Stone Ocean news that indirectly confirmed how many episodes there may be for Part 6. Yes, so for today's JoJo News, we have a tweet from JoJo News, or the Twitter handle JoJo Wiki News, that states the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean anime now has six DVDs available for rent in Japan. There will be 19 volumes in total. And attached to this tweet is an article from the page JoJoNews.com stating that with the 19 volumes, this means that the Stone Ocean anime will have 38 episodes in total when the third core releases. Damn. Uh, the previous anime seasons, Part 4, Diamond is Unbreakable, and Part 5, Golden Wind, had 39 episodes. So just in line with what we've seen in JoJo so far. I think the longest part is Part 3 because it actually yeah. had two separate seasons, which I think... Tells you just how long it fucking is. I don't remember the total number of number total of total is forty eight episodes in part three. Wow, so it's not too far off with uh, part six, part four through six. So it's gonna be nice to have a a fully fleshed out, fully adapted Stone Ocean because I think some people were concerned that it was going to be shorter than that because who knows with Netflix. But luckily, it's gonna stay on par with the amount of episodes the last couple of parts have had. So that means there will be a new core of Stone Ocean every year for the past, or starting in 2021 through 2023. That's kind of odd. Yeah, if they continue to do things, uh, if they continue to drop cores every year or so, then you're right, it'll be kind of a three-year stretch for us. And it seems like the next batch that they're going to drop will be about 14 episodes to reach the total of 38. Yeah kind of odd how it follows the trajectory of attack on titan the final season with that being three cores as well i'm holding out hope though because if we have two more cores we have potentially two more ops and eds fingers crossed we get jolene by dolly parton as one of those eds i mean you got two more to work with what what could be more perfect than jolene by dolly parton i know they referenced it in the first batch of episodes um when 
what's her face um was singing kind of like singing jolene guess. With, yeah when guess was attacking jolene and singing jolene by dolly parton so they acknowledge it exists right so we just gotta commit to that as one of the eds please i'm curious what the next op is going to be like I'm sure it's going to be influenced by whatever arc has been covered through episodes 13 to 24. But yeah, just curious which which singer they will choose for that second one. I'm actually surprised we haven't heard anything because we are less than a month out from part six's uh, second premiere. And usually there's like, it seems to be the trend nowadays, there's like a quote unquote special event for an upcoming anime or season. And that's when they release like additional cast, um, voice actors, They'll, they'll release the like the OP, at least like the, the artist and the song title. Um, so yeah, I guess it's going to be a surprise unless they drop something in the next couple of weeks. So before we get into The Emperor and the Hangman Part 1, we do want to give a very special shout out to our newest patron, Abdul. Woohoo! Yes, thank you, Abdul, for your support. It's got us whizzing like Emperor's Bullet to new heights. <laughs> <laughs> At first, when you said whizzing, I was like, wait, where is this going? You know, like bullets whizzing through the that, air. Yes, that makes sense. Not the whizzing, like whizzing I was thinking of. No, like not the whizzing like at the, the, the toilet. Is that what you're Yeah, thinking? like Polnareff with the, the toilet with yeah. the pig, which no, we'll not talk that, plenty about. Yeah, not that kind of whizzing. The, the, the other kind of whizzing. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you, Abdul, for being a patron. Thank you so much for your support. We very, very much appreciate it. And if any of you would like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-shows, our show schedules, even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. All right, so this episode I felt was pretty intense. It was way more dramatic, like actual drama than what we've had in several episodes. It still follows that stand of the week formula, but this has a more substantial place in the overall story because of its tie to Polnareff and the fact that we have Pole Horse. So what was your what were your thoughts on this episode? It's a two-parter, right? But what are your thoughts on this first half? Oh yeah, I, I gotta agree. Like this episode, it takes a more dramatic turn than what we've seen so far in part three. And I think it also it raises the stakes, especially with its ending. Although, again, with our foresight, we know that Abdul doesn't actually die until later on. Spoiler alert. Uh, it's interesting that we get another Polnareff-centered episode, having gotten one just two episodes ago with uh, the devil. And then last episode was focused with Jotaro and Yellow Temperance. Uh, but yeah, a lot of stuff happens to Polnareff and we've talked about it before like he seems to get the short end of the stick when it comes to things that happen in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and this one in this episode I guess these two parts all stems from seeing a pig in a toilet I don't know if that was just something <laughs> ominous for him and because of that like we always see Polnareff as like the goofy character in part three but with this specific arc we do see a shift in tone for him where he goes from this foolish person to one that is very fear inducing with you know his his goal on getting vengeance for his sister's death yeah i find this episode to be uh like i alluded to it's it's a more substantial episode so up until this point we've had an enemy stand user a you know, appear and they get taken care of within an episode and we just sort of move on. And what happens within the context of that episode doesn't really play um, a significant part into the overall story. But here, this episode does. Like, it, it just has a different tone. It has a different feeling to it. It has a different weight to it because of that. Because, again, it's Polnareff seeking revenge for his sister. He gets to uh, he gets to do that in the next episode, but he gets to start that journey in this episode. We have Whole Horse, who will be an ongoing enemy stand user pretty much for the rest of part three. Like he's a pretty significant enemy in this part. And then we have Avdol, quote unquote, dying, which is a huge hit to the Crusaders, to Polnareff, and something that is going to continue to be revisited until his return later on. So I, I enjoy this episode because it just doesn't feel like a throwaway episode not saying the other ones were throwaway episodes but this one has again more weight more meat to it one thing i am surprised though and this is how i felt when i first started watching stardust crusaders i was surprised that we got to this point so quickly for polnareff 
being able to avenge his sister is a huge part of his character development. It's a huge part of his character overall. And we got here so fast. And in the next episode, he's going to get the closure he's looking for. And again, like it just seems so early on in the show for that to happen. It doesn't, it's not a negative thing, but when you think about how these revenge arcs are usually played out, these like very pivotal moments for characters, it's usually built up over time and usually doesn't happen until like the last third or fourth of a season or a show. So for it to happen so quickly, I was a bit surprised and I still feel surprised by it. I think every time I watch it, I'm like, this happens just so quickly in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, that's true. We're only, what, 10 episodes into part three and you already have this this, this pivotal arc, again, for Polnareff. Maybe it's just because Araki wanted to reserve the the later arcs to focus back on the the, the goal at hand, which is to, to stop Dio. Um, and I also was just surprised that you introduced something as dramatic as Avdol's death just 10 episodes in. So a lot of surprises in this episode. But yeah, I just think it's kind of synonymous with not really knowing what's going to happen on this journey in Stardust Crusaders because things can change in the blink of an eye left and right with with these episodes i think it's kind of cool that iraqi decided to okay it's gonna sound really bad i don't think it's cool that he decided to kill off abdul but just like the fact that he chose to do it so early on in the story because i think maybe the opposite effect with polnareff getting his revenge so early on abdul suddenly dying only 10 episodes in is pretty crazy um that is a very unexpected plot twist to happen so quickly in in a, a new season and it's not like sure the show's been going on for a while right like jojo the, by this point is in its second season has been running for quite some time but if you think about stardust crusaders as an isolated story to kill off a character a significant character in just 10 episodes that's like oh, i don't want to say because it it's kind of a spoiler um okay i'll just say there's an anime that deals with spirals and it has a very similar effect where a major character is killed off very, very quickly. If you know, you know. I don't want to spoil it any further than that because if I say the name of the anime, you're pretty much going to get spoiled somehow. Yeah. So again, overall, it just presents a new direction for the story to go into. And that's what's kind of cool again about Star Stardust Crusaders is that the story takes so many unexpected twists and turns that... I feel like it, it makes it a lot more unique from the other parts that we've seen in JoJo's anime form so far. But all right, dear listeners, it's time for us to ready, aim, and fire as we shoot our way into our synopsis and discussion for Part 3, Episode 10, The Emperor and the Hanged Man, Part 1. The boys arrive in the Indian city of Calcutta, where culture shock really becomes culture electrocution with how much stimuli the group deals with upon entering, though Avdal has himself a grand old time. Taking a break from the hustle and bustle at a local restaurant, Polnareff pauses for a potty break with a primitive and porky plumbing system when he spots a man in the mirror, and no message could have been any clearer because he recognizes the visage as the stand of his sister's killer, Jay Guile. Incurring seven years of bad luck by smashing the mirror to pieces, Polnareff decides to go solo in his vengeful pursuit, despite Avdal aggressively trying to talk some sense into the Frenchman's flat top. Later on, Polnareff runs into the newest of Dio's dastardly disciples, Whole Horse, who has secretly teamed up with Jay Guile to put an end to the Polnareff pedigree. Our moronic monsieur clearly didn't watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, because bringing a sword to a gunfight backfires as Whole Horse's stand, Emperor fires a space-defying bullet right for his no-brained noggin, until Avdol appears in the nick of time to save his sacre bleu skin. Unfortunately, our extrasensory Egyptian meets his untimely demise in a coordinated attack between Whole Horse and Jay Guile, where it is Avdol's own brilliant brain that bites the boisterous bullet. And now onto our next segment of the show is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So there are a total of four references that I caught in this episode, each having to do with the two antagonists. So the first one is with the name of the irritable but charismatic antagonist Whole Horse, 
His name is a reference somehow to Hall and Oates, which is an American pop rock duo who achieved fame between the mid 1970s to the late 1980s for their fusion of rock and roll and rhythm and blues. Though they are commonly referred to as Hall and Oates, Daryl Hall himself has been adamant about the duo being called Daryl Hall and John Oates, which I guess is its official name. Wait, so should we be calling him Hall Horse instead of Whole Horse? I know the Japanese pronunciation is probably closer to whole. But yeah. I'm like, now I'm thinking it, maybe we're saying it wrong technically. Technically. I don't know if it's just the the name itself, Whole Horse, is supposed to sound like someone quickly saying Holland Oats, if that's where they're getting it from. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to have to explain that one to me. Um, but yeah, Holland Oats are known for their singles like Rich Girl, Man Eater, Out of Touch, and my personal favorite from the duo, You Make My Dreams. Second music reference in this episode goes to Jay Guile, the secondary antagonist, or I guess you could call him Polnareff's primary antagonist. His name is a reference to the Jay Giles Band, an American rock band under the leadership of guitarist John Jay Giles. The band played R&B-influenced blues rock during the 1970s and soon achieved commercial success before moving toward a more mainstream, radio-friendly sound in the early 1980s, which brought the band to its commercial peak. I think Office fans will probably know them best for their hit single, Centerfold, the title of which is used as the localized name for this antagonist because I think they call him Mr. Centerfold in the, t- in the subtitles. On to the tarot references. We have Whole Horses Stand Emperor, which is in reference to the Emperor, the fourth card in the tarot deck. The Emperor symbolizes the top of the secular hierarchy, the ultimate male ego. The Emperor is the absolute ruler of the world. The ultimate male ego. I mean, that sounds perfect yeah, for I Whole think, Horse. Yeah, Whole Horse does come off as a, a bit of a macho man, so it makes sense there. Uh, another description for this card, it is suggestive of stability and security in life. You are on top of things and everything is under your control It is your hard work, discipline, and self-control that have brought you this far. It means that you are in charge of your life, now setting up your own rules and boundaries. I think the one thing you can pull from this is with everything under your control, I would say that's synonymous with how Whole Horse, in this episode, you see his ability to control the path of his stand's bullet. And in astrology, the emperor is commonly associated with the planet Mars, which is named after the Roman god of war. I think that's also just kind of synonymous with uh, Whole Horse's personality. Like in this one, he is a kind of like a cowboy gunslinger, so always wanting to get himself in a duel with others. Uh, fun fact is that Araki came up with the idea of Emperor by thinking that it be it would be novel to have a gun instantly appear in a user's hand rather than having to draw it from a holster. Yeah, I could see that. I actually really like Emperor. Um, I'll t- like the stand itself. I'll talk about that when we get to that part of the episode. And the final tarot reference in this episode is with Jay Giles' stand, Hanged Man, which is the twelfth card in the tarot deck. The Hanged Man is the card that suggests ultimate surrender, sacrifice, or being suspended in time. I think that last trait is kind of evocative of how the Hanged Man exists in a parallel mirror or reflective dimension so being suspended in that kind of time and space um, upright you don't really have any traits that describe hanged man in this episode wisdom circumspection discernment trials sacrifice intuition divination prophecy but with the reversed card you have egotism inability to change and missing an opportunity So with egotism, that is the practice of talking and thinking about oneself excessively because of an undue sense of self-importance. I think this is kind of analogous to the stand hangman's ability to exist in mirror reflection. So kind of symbolic of vanity with being egotistical. Uh, Another fun fact with hangman is This stand is possibly inspired by the 1986 episode of Amazing Stories, Mirror, Mirror, in which the protagonist is chased by a phantom that can only be seen in reflective surfaces. Or, I think a lot of us grew up as kids with that kind of ghost in the mirror story, 
where if you see something reflected in the mirror that's not actually behind you, you know, that that's an ominous thing and it could lead to your death. You see that shit in scary games all the time. Oh, yeah. I think in, um, was that in PT? Was that a moment in PT or? In... I don't remember. I don't think oh, so. Wait, no, because the mirrors, yeah, the mirrors were, were blurred blind. out. Yeah, okay. I'm probably thinking of a different game then. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And we have, I guess, technically two or maybe one and a half memes. Um, they're pretty iconic, but they're essentially the same meme, but used in different sources. So it's crying Polnareff. It's crying Polnareff when he kind of gives the thumbs up and he's like crying and smiling. Not really smiling, but just like making that face at Kakyoin. And then the second half of him crying where it's the very last frame of the episode where he's yelling and crying at the same time. He says something like, I'm just so annoyed by it all or something like that. Um, we actually use the first crying Polnareff meme in our Discord as one of our emojis. Uh, maybe at some point we'll add the other one too. But yeah, there's a couple different um, ways I've seen this used. I'll drop them, of course, in the Discord. So if you're not a member, make sure to, to join. Um, but I sent this over to you so you can see it. <laughs> oh, I hate looking at this one. So someone put the fucking crying Polnareff face over the Kakyoin Rero face, and it's just absolutely cursed. I fucking hate it. You know, the internet is just a, a magical place being used for the benefit of all mankind, <laughs> especially with how they matched up this photo. It's... It works well. What can I say? <laughs> and then the other one is like happy Polnareff um, with like like superimposed over like a background image of crying Polnareff. Like when you're happy on the outside, but you're crying on the inside. And actually, I didn't even notice Kakioin's like even further back in, in the distance. Is he laughing or crying? It looks like he's laughing. And you also see Jotaro oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, very faintly. So I don't know if he's, he's like image? <laughs> he's crying over thinking of his memories with the Stardust Crusaders. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that that's the uh, the only meme. It's a two-parter for this episode, but it's a pretty significant one. Um, as I said, I'll drop the memes in the Discord. If you're not a member, the link to join is in the description. And yeah, you can see all the memes that we share there. So right off the bat, we're still kind of keeping track of when they stop using the nickname Jojo. They didn't use it at all in this episode. In fact, Jotaro is pretty non-existent in this episode, let's be honest. Yeah, I think he only gets a couple lines and just a few shots. But yeah, you barely see him because it's so Polnareff-focused. Yeah, I think, um, I think he only has one line in the entire episode, which... We'll talk about in just a second because the episode starts off with the Crusaders experiencing a bit of culture shock when they arrive to India, but they pretty quickly become accustomed to it and start to see the charm that Avdal tells them about. And that's when at the restaurant, Jotaro says that he likes this place and thinks it's cool. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's so weird when a Sundare praises something. I'm like, this is weird. He's saying something nice about something. <laughs> Maybe because like... He saw how aggressive the citizens were once they landed. And, you know, that's... That some, resonates with him. Yeah, that resonates with his personality. <laughs> strength, response to strength. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that, that is literally, I, I think, Jotaro's only line in this entire episode. And they gave him such a fucking weird one. Yeah, he, he definitely takes a back seat in this episode. But it, it never feels wrong, I guess, when Jotaro's not in the spotlight. I think that's one of the great things about Jojo is that it builds up all of the quote-unquote side characters or supporting characters so well that you actually don't mind when they take the forefront and the main character steps back to let them do that. There's other shows where I'm like, I don't care about these side characters. I don't care about these supporting characters. Why are you giving me episodes all about them? Like They, they make a failed attempt to try to have the viewer connect with these characters or build that backstory, but in JoJo, it never fails to be a success. Yeah, with Stardust Crusaders, it, it's pretty unique because you have a character like Joseph who's carried over from part two and we're familiar with his story and we all uh, love him dearly. And then you have Polnareff, which we, we've learned through bits and pieces about his backstory and then that comes to a head here with uh, him wanting to seek out Jay Guile. Uh, Kakuin and Avdol, I, I would say they're the less developed uh, character or characters with backstories in the group but they each have their own personality that like even if you have these one-off episodes that focus on any of them 
it it doesn't feel like you want to rather see more of Jotaro because they just have well-balanced stories and personalities that you can just jump from one to the other. Actually, now that you mention it, that is a really good point. Compared to a lot of other side characters, supporting characters, the Crusaders actually have very little backstory. I mean, like, what do we know about Jotaro, right? We know little to nothing about him, even by the end of part three. Um, obviously, as time goes on in Jojo, you know, part four, part five, part six, what happened in previous parts becomes his backstory for later parts. But as of right now, we know very little about the guy. We know extremely little about Kakyoin other than he went on a trip with his family and he wants to help Holly. We know very little about Avdol other than, you know, he's had a stand since he was young and he encountered Dio in Egypt. Um, Polnareff probably has the most backstory, honestly, with his whole sister's murder. But yeah, I think not even having a lot of context around these characters, Araki still finds a way to get us to love them. So then after Jotaro tells us that he likes India, Polnareff decides to go to the bathroom. Joseph asks what Polnareff wants to eat, and he says to pick something for him that would be gorgeous and sophisticated like the Frenchman he is. And Joseph's mouth is just agape as he walks away, <laughs> like, what the fuck? And it's such a great transition because it sets Polnareff up as like this egotistical, very well put together person who is very witty and quick. And then immediately the next scene is him getting attacked by a pig in his toilet. Like it is just a great transition that shows the dichotomy of Polnareff. He's he's usually he's like hot and cold, right? Or he's he's on and off. Usually he's off because there's shit happening to him. But sometimes he's on. Sometimes he's got it all together. But here, not so much. And I think this is the start of Polnareff's bad luck with bathrooms. Oh, yeah, because later on in part three, there's a, a scene with Polnareff that involves like a, a hole in the ground, right? There's a, a couple of toilet moments, yes, in part three for Polnareff. It's become a, a meme for him, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, you got to think that Polnareff probably has the most or is experiencing the most culture shock out of the group because he is from a, a country like France, which is known for being prim and proper and then uh, you have this ominous toilet. I think this is my favorite shot in this episode where you have the shot of the toilet and then the menacing characters that are emanating from it. Um, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of a time when I was younger and I went to the Philippines with my family. We went to a, a like a, friend, a family friend's house and I had to use the restroom, but the toilet in there also, like it didn't have like a, a flushing handle. Like I, you had to pour water into the toilet in order to quote-unquote flush it and so <laughs> i don't know why this this brings back memories of me using that toilet but you know it, it's something unfamiliar in a in a new country that you have to adapt to was there also a pig in that toilet no there was not a pig in that toilet i think that would have made me freak out as much as polnareff did in this one <laughs> i do love the camera work here because you know, he Polnareff trots off all high and mighty after what he said to Joseph. He goes into the bathroom right after the, the employee takes him over there and he closes the door and the camera sort of zooms out down the hallway and it's kind of slow and steady. And then Polnareff screams and it zooms very quickly back into the doorway and he flings it open and sort of falls out of the bathroom. It's these little moments of... Um, I don't know if you call it like experimental animation that David Production does, but these moments that are just so unique and so cool to Jojo that go unnoticed probably a lot of the time, but I think really stick with me because this is like such a, a random scene to have a really cool bit of camera work like that. It kind of felt like something you'd see in a horror film, but it's just funny because it, it's just tied to a toilet and then, you know, it, it's backing up. And then it zooms in almost like a like watching a cartoon or like Looney Tunes when you, when once you hear Polnareff's laugh. So it's kind of that funny balance between horror and comedy. And he's mortified, right? Because there's a fucking pig in the toilet that's going to eat his poop. And the employee tells him, and this part is so random. It's probably the most random part of this entire episode. But the employee tells him that the manager sometimes has the pig lick his ass. 
And then the employee does that fucking cackle out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And he makes that ugly ass face. And the next scene, he's just like back to normal. I'm like, what What just happened here? What, where did that come from? They don't acknowledge it. They don't do anything else after that. But for some reason, the employee made a fucking weird face and started laughing like a crazy man. It's just like one of the great random moments of JoJo. It probably keeps that employee going throughout the workday. Just, <laughs> just knowing that and having to go into his customer service mode. So immediately after, when Polnareff is washing his hands, we get a sort of no, another horror movie scene, as you described earlier, where Polnareff sees the stand in the mirror getting closer and closer to him. But when he turns around, it's not there in quote unquote real life. What's weird, though, is that Hangman opens the window in the mirror to get, you know, to be able to get closer to Polnareff. But he doesn't open the window in the real world when Polnareff turns around. So my question is, can Hangman manipulate things, but only in the mirror world? Because mm. I'm trying to think, like, I don't think in the rest of this episode, we, I don't think we saw it manipulate anything except for when it attacks um, Avdol and when it slices up that snake. So, like, maybe it can manipulate things in the mirror world because technically it's attacking a mirror version of something else. But I was just kind of thinking about that. I'm like, that's weird. Well, when he stabbed Avdol with a knife, was that in the reflection or was that in the real world? It was in the reflection, and so he took damage in the real world. Mm. But it also makes me wonder, then, what is the difference between Hanged Man and Man in the Mirror from Part 5? I, th I think the difference is that Hanged Man exists in the mirror world and can't ever exist in the real world. Um, he can't pull things into the mirror world, but he can manipulate what's already there in the mirror, wor mirror world. It's really hard for me to say. But then I think Man in the Mirror from Part 5 like creates a mirror world that and actually, sucks in like stand users yeah right? where it actually brings things in right where it can't manipulate anything in the real world but when it brings that same item in into the mirror version then it can manipulate manipulate and do what it needs to it's kind of they're similar but different i'd say and this is the catalyst for the next part of the episode or really for the rest of the episode where polnareff realizes that this is his sister's murderer and he takes the charge to go off on his own and finally avenge his sister's death. But Polnareff can be too hot-headed. Um, he can be too determined. And I think his ego gets the better of him here. And he gets into a fight with the Crusaders, in particular with Avdol. And I, I think I, I mentioned this before when Avdol and Polnareff first went against each other in Polnareff's introductory episode. Polnareff and Avdol have this very unique relationship among the Crusaders where they're constantly hot and cold. Um, they have a very strong bond, as we see by the end of part three, when Avdol sacrifices himself, saves Polnareff and, and, uh, and Iggy, too. And I think their, their constant back and forth just shows how much they care about each other, but they're not the type to want to say it out loud, right? Like, Polnareff's too proud. Avdol's too too quiet about those things. Um, but here we see Avdol trying to talk sense into Polnareff to try and keep him from doing something, making a mistake because he's charging ahead and being too reckless about it. Yeah, I mean, I can't really blame Polnareff because his sister's killer is within reach and it's, it's the perfect time to strike. But, you know, Avdol, I think he, he, he kind of sees the bigger picture with how things have been going with these enemy stands that or enemy stand users that Dio's been sending. And I think it's it's sort of like um it's it's ironic that it's Avdal who suffers because of Polnareff's choice in the end. And so that's something that ha like that will stick with Polnareff at the end of this episode as it goes into the climax of part two. I think Polnareff's strongest bonds are with the people he butts heads with. So Avdol is a case in point, and also Iggy. We see Iggy and Polnareff butt heads constantly, but Iggy ends up sacrificing himself as well to keep Polnareff alive. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of interesting the way that works out. Um, but Avdol does say that he's lost all respect for Polnareff and must have been wrong about his first impression of Polnareff. And this goes back to, again, that first meeting of theirs in Hong Kong where they went up against each other and Avdol decided to spare Polnareff because he felt that Polnareff was very, what's the word I'm looking for? Like honorable or respectful? 
there's redeemable qualities. Yeah, there's like a, a term he used when he just when he stopped, you know, burning Polnareff alive, where he's like, you know what, you're a pretty solid guy. Um, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill you after all, which is a, you know a good decision that he made. But then we transition from this very heated, very dramatic argument between Abdul and Polnareff to fucking whole horse's introduction. And he comes in like some main character from an old Western, except he's on an elephant instead of a horse. <laughs> yeah, actually, this whole, or this second half of the episode, it felt like it had a lot of Western elements, despite being set in India. And of course, you have uh, whole horse's character design himself, where, like I mentioned earlier, he looks like a, a cowboy gunslinger with his hat, but then he's just riding into town on an elephant. Um, by the way, was the word chivalrous that you were using to... Yes, I believe so. Okay, so yeah, I think going back to that convo, Alvdal described Polnareff as like chivalrous when he decided to spare his life. Uh, but yeah, this this scene where it's just whole horse with that, that mistress who um, wants to to marry him and, and, and be his wife while... You know, whole horse is like a, a just a free spirit again something about that just evokes seeing like a, a like a lone star ranger who is you see in like the the old western films who is is free spirited independent and goes off on his own it, it was kind of it felt kind of out of place with everything else that's going on in this episode but i think the the connection here is that we see whole horse meet up with Jay Guile. Yeah, they really had us in the first half giving Whole Horse such a cool introduction and making him seem like a badass because if you think about the Whole Horse we know or we eventually come to know, he's not that way at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, it is, it is weird rewatching his intro scene because he we know that he gets shit all over every time he's on screen after this point. And I think he's one of the few uh, enemy stand users in part three, as I mentioned earlier, that makes multiple appearances throughout part three. I think the other one is Enyaba. She makes multiple appearances. Obviously, Dio makes multiple appearances, but he's the big baddie. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think if there's any other enemies that don't fall into the the trope of enemy stand user of the week. Maybe Oingo Boingo, because Boingo. Boingo comes back. Yeah, to team up with Whole Horse. Which is so fucking random. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you know, this is going ahead of, but I love how the Oingo Boingo theme gets changed when Whole Horse teams up with Boingo. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait for that episode. That's a great one. Um, so yeah, Whole Horse, he's here. He's fucking amazing. And I had read that originally Araki considered putting Whole Horse uh, or making Whole Horse part of the Crusaders, which is kind of why Whole Horse has a very similar feel to the rest of the Crusaders instead of you know a lot of the other very quirky, very strange out there enemy stand users that they come across. And I think you found a an article or something from one of Rocky's like interviews where he talks a bit about that. Yeah, this actually comes from the JoJo fandom wiki. Uh, it was a volume of Jojonium, volume 10. Uh, the wiki has an expert, not ex- expert, excerpt of an interview with Araki where he explains how he had wanted to include Whole Horse as part of the Crusaders, but I think he realized that Polnareff and Whole Horse were too similar in looks and personality that he decided not to, but would just rather use him throughout Part 3 as a, a sort of cameo. I think that makes sense because we see in a little bit when Polnareff and Whole Horse go up against each other that they really do. They're like a one for one almost. The two of them going back and forth yeah. is like watching the same character <laughs> twice. Um, but we'll we'll share a link uh, to that that excerpt from his interview um, for, from the, the Jojolian thing in the Discord. Jojonium. Jojonium. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, okay, wait, I was confused. But yeah, we'll share it in the Discord so that you guys can read the, the actual excerpt that Araki shared. I also mentioned earlier that I think um, Emperor the Stand is pretty cool. It's it's one of the most simplistic but really cool stands out there, mostly because of the way Whole Horse manifests it. He just sort of holds his hand out 
and it kind of spins into existence, accompanied by some really amazing sound design by David Production. And even the way like the bullet shoots and, and the way they animate the trajectory of the bullet, um, kind of the path that it leaves. It's just so cool to watch Emperor. It, it's nothing but a gun, right? Like there's, mm -hmm. we see guns plenty of times in Jojo. We've got a gun with Mista in part five, but for some reason, Emperor is just so satisfying to watch. Yeah, I love the, the little spin as uh whole horse manifests manifests emperor's gun uh, i think the other thing i love about it is as you mentioned with the sound design as soon as he shoots the bullet you hear the sound but it's almost like the sound is immediately absorbed you know what i mean it doesn't like ricochet or echo it's like a, a boom and then it it contains itself. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I noticed that too. Like when the when the bullet comes out, when the shot is fired, all other sound gets completely suppressed. You just hear the stand just for that brief moment. And then the sound kind of comes back in, kind of like how you said, like it absorbs everything. And then the surrounding sounds come back in as the bullet goes flying. It's like a really cool way they, they designed that sound around Emperor. But even then it's like, it's just such a cool name, Emperor. It's a gun. Like, there's just something so simplistic um, but elegant about this stand. I just love it. And then it belongs to Whole Horse of all fucking people. Yeah, I guess because, you know, Emperor, like, you could say that a gun is probably the top of the hierarchy of, of weapons because it's, like I mentioned before, you, you can't bring a sword to a gunfight because a gun, especially with an expert gun wielder, will, will prevail. Before we move on to the last half of this episode... We do get stand stats for Hanged Man, but everything is in question marks. So we can't really share the chart as of yet. That'll probably appear in The Emperor and the Hanged Man Part 2. Um, one thing that I noted, I don't know if you got this vibe too, is do you think Hanged Man almost looks like a mummified version of Cars? Of Cars? Yeah. You got to show me a picture. I got to look this up. I'm, I'm not sure. I got to look at it. Because it, he looks like a... Like a, a pillar man. Uh, and it, he has like the wrapping, similar wrappings to what Cars had in part two. I don't know. Maybe I just thought that maybe Araki had adapted the design for Hanged Man. Oh, I can. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. Um, kinda. I mean, yeah, if I if I look closely and I think about Cars, I could see that. He's got the uh, the loincloth and everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I was trying to... The, the thing around his, his waist, right? The loincloth. Um, yeah. It just could be pure coincidence. But when I first saw Hanged Man manifest to attack Polnareff, I immediately thought, no, oh, this looks like a pillar man. Well, we know Cars isn't dead. He's still floating around in space, so... <laughs> no. <laughs> Is this how he manifests back on Earth? Yeah. <laughs> So when Polnar finally meets up with Whole Horse, right before that, we see Whole Horse walking with Jay Guile, and it's raining out, but Jay Guile has sort of that halo around him because the rain isn't hitting him. Do they ever explain that? Uh, I know we already talked about this a little bit yeah. when we got Polnareff's backstory, but I don't know if they like address it. Thanks to the JoJo wiki, I think it kind of explains this. In the trivia section, it says, when Polnareff tells how his sister Sherry died, he mentions that Jay Guile appeared covered in some sort of protective field. Said field prevented the water from hitting him, making the stand user completely dry even when directly under the rain. This ability is simply Hanged Man jumping from each raindrop quickly to protect Jay Guile from the rain. Oh, shit. That's a pretty convenient way to use your stand. <laughs> <laughs> As an umbrella, I guess, of sorts. Uh, actually, before this, there's a whole montage of Polnareff uh, asking people around the village if they've seen Jay Guile. Yeah. Do you notice there's one shot where it just shows a cow uh, with its back towards Polnareff? Yeah. I think don't uh, cows roam free in India? Yeah, but that just makes you think, was Polnareff interrogating this cow? Oh, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, to ask where, if it had <laughs> seen And he looks so pissed off at the cow, yeah. too. I'm like, what did the cow do? He's The cow's just <laughs> hanging out there. He's just sleeping, and you're, like, so pissed off at this cow. He just, probably asked him, and the cow yeah. didn't respond. Yeah, you, sh you see all these other people that Polnareff's talking to, and then you just see this this cow. It kind of reminds me of that scene from SpongeBob where Patrick, yeah. they're trying to find Squidward, and he asks, are you Squidward? And then it, it's a fire hydrant. Yeah, and then he's like, "That's okay, take your time." <laughs> Again, maybe just going back to how 
how dumb Polnareff is <laughs> as asking a cow he's seen his sister's killer. We do get the credits rolling early too, uh, right around this part or right after he sees Jay Guile and Whole Horse walking toward him. And you know shit's about to go down when they're not giving you the ED. When they're rolling the credits, when they're not going to you know, end the episode how they normally do. And shit does go down. So first we have Polnareff and Whole Horse in this sort of stalemate because they both have similar personalities where they're fucking egotistical and laughing at each other. You've got Whole versus Pole. Wow. <laughs> it sounds Very so nice. bad. Hole <laughs> <laughs> and pole. But then Whole Horse explains that, um, he explains a bit about his stand, how he can overpower, uh, I was about to say Star Platinum, um, Silver Chariot. And he even explains that his bullets are also a part of his stand. And I noted this because the other major gun user in JoJo is Mista from part five with sex pistols. But the difference here is that his stand is the actual bullets where his gun is just a normal pistol. And because the bullets are the stand, they control the actual bullets that come out of the gun. Emperor, the gun and the bullets are the actual stand. So whole horse can just control every bit of that. Because sex pistols needs to like ride the bullet and then kick it to the direction they want it to go mm, based right. on what Misa tells Sex Pistols. Here, Whole Horse can just command it through, you know, the gun and the bullets being all part of his stand and what he can control. And then Avdol pops up out of nowhere to save Polnareff from that bullet. And uh, I think there's a moment where Joseph's running through the streets and he mentions that, that Avdol went by himself to save Polnareff and they're trying to find him. They're trying to find Polnareff. Um, them being uh, Joseph Kakyoin and uh, Jotaro. And again, it's just that hot and cold relationship, right? They get into a fight. Avdol almost punches Polnareff. They stop talking to each other. But here, Avdol goes to Polnareff's rescue immediately. And in doing so, he gets stabbed in the back by Hanged Man and then gets shot in the head. Like, holy fucking shit. Or does he? Or does he? <laughs> I think the stabbing actually does happen. And mm-hmm. technically, the bullet hit his head. Yeah. But as we learn later, it just grazed him. <laughs> yeah, that was a Iraqi modified moment. <laughs> <laughs> and that I think the, the craziest part of Abdul, quote unquote, dying is that slow-mo shot where he's falling backward and the blood is shooting out from the top of his head. And you see, like, as he's falling backward, you can see Polnareff right next to him and his horrified face. And you just, you got to think about what's going through Polnareff's head at that moment. He just, you know, shat all over Avdol. He told him he lectures him too much. He made him feel terrible for trying to be a good friend. And Avdol comes out of nowhere, not only saves him, but sacrifices himself in, in the process. Because, yeah, it's, it's like now he has the weight of two people that he or whose deaths he has to avenge. Um, and I also like just how all sound and music is just taken out of this moment as soon as you see Avdol getting hit by Emperor's bullet. And, it, like, the colors change just showing how how significant this moment is and just being swept into the emotion of it. When you first watched the scene, um, I guess when you first watched part three, were you convinced that, that Abdul actually died up until he came back? Oh, yeah. Like, again, the way that this scene is framed, it looks like the bullet goes through Abdul's head. Like, there's no questioning that. But then, yeah, later on, it's like, Abdul says, oh, no, I, it was just grazing my head. And I, I do remember just feeling shocked that, again, you have this very major character in Stardust Crusaders get taken out of the game so quickly. Yeah, I was convinced too. I I didn't suspect that Araki would do a fake death, um, which is why it was so impactful that they would, that he would kill off a character so quickly. But, um, but yeah, then, then he's, he's not actually dead, but But then he dies anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Everything was convincing because they even have steam rising from Abdul's body. I don't know if they explain that later, but that, that really played into it. Now, what I read when I um, when I first watched Artist Crusaders and then I, I browsed the Shitpost Crusaders subreddit, um, I had read, and I'd seen this a couple of times, that the reason Araki killed off Avdol earlier in the show, even though it wasn't a permanent death the first time, was because he didn't like drawing his hair. That it was like very <laughs> difficult to draw because it's so 
like cylindrical, so geometric um, and so specific. I don't know if that's true. So I looked um, to see if there was any mention about why Araki decided to kill off Optal. And on the same JoJo fandom wiki, I think in the exact same page that you found the info about Whole Horse, um, in volume 13 it says there's a bit about Avdol. And he essentially says that he he decided in the moment to kill him off and just uh, there was no mention about his hair having to draw his character. So we'll, we'll share that link as well so you guys can read what Araki said about killing off Avdol uh, the first and then the second time as well. So I don't know, maybe oh. it's just a rumor that JoJo fans like to spread, or maybe there was another place where Araki mentioned specifically about disliking having to draw Avdol's hair. But either way, we've got a little bit of context as to that decision. Well, it says uh, at the end of the excerpt that Araki says, also drawing Magician's Red was a bit of a struggle for me. Oh, <laughs> so, so maybe that's what it was. I mean, what I read of. is that it was Avdol's hair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but maybe that was just, again, like, you know, Miss... Uh, misrepresented or, or misconstrued as uh as that information traveled along <laughs> yeah i would it would have been funny if it was just because oh, i i hate drawing avdol because it, it goes back <laughs> to those things where you know in anime you question why a writer or an artist chooses certain things and they give a really out like extraordinary answer like something that you don't expect like it's not within the context of the story it's just like Oh, I didn't want to draw them anymore. I know there's something like that in Gintama where in the beginning of Gintama, the manga, Gintoki had goggles. And then eventually the the, uh, the creator just stopped drawing the goggles. And there was like a reason for it. I don't know if it was it had to do with disliking drawing them or it doesn't fit his character. But yeah, you're right. Like just small things like that pop up. And there have been uh, creators and artists who say, yeah, this character is great, but I fucking hate drawing, you know, X, Y, Z part of them because it's incredibly tedious or because it's very difficult. I think that was something, there was something similar in Naruto. Like he originally wore goggles, but the artist thought that would be too complex to draw every week. So they changed it to a headband. I could see it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an artist, but I could, I understand if something is very tedious and difficult and you have an opportunity to change it or improve it, why not? If it if it doesn't if it doesn't cause any issues with the character or the show, then, you know, why the fuck not? Now, killing off Avdol because you don't want to draw his hair. I don't know about that. <laughs> but again, that that's probably not even true. Maybe it is true. I don't know. If anyone knows for sure, let us know. I tried googling it, couldn't find anything concrete other than this article that we'll share in the Discord. And then finally, in the last moments of this episode, Polnareff tries to play it coy when Kakyoin is trying to not revive Avdol, but figure out if he's dead or not. Um, he tries to hide his true emotions by saying all these mean things about Avdol to Kakyoin, like, this is his own fault, this is what he gets for lecturing people, and then the tears start streaming down because Polnareff is very upset that his good friend Avdol has quote-unquote died, which leaves us with the two crying Polnareff memes. <laughs> like, I, I, it's, it's sad that this scene has to be associated with the meme uh, because Polnareff does say something very profound with his crying face, which is this, I am sick of it having people up and die on me. I'm so sick of it. It's and so sad. It's really sad because he's going to continue to have people dying around him, mm. not only in part three, but in future parts. And I think that plays into the fact that we talked about before, like who are the most cursed characters in JoJo? Polnareff is one of them. He goes through so much shit. Not saying the other Crusaders aren't impacted by the death of their fellow Crusaders, but it hits Polnareff extra hard and he continues to lose people that he has these like hot and cold relationships with. So yeah, poor Polnareff. But I think this episode explains why Polnareff is so cursed. You might've missed it. Uh-oh. Because he smashed the mirror at the restaurant. That's oh. seven years bad luck. I mean, he was kind of cursed before <laughs> that, but that probably amplified his curseness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, last thing I wanted to note with this final scene of Polnareff crying, you know, he has his, his back turned and then you see the tears hitting the ground, um, showing that he's no longer keeping up that facade of like, oh, I didn't care that much about Avdol. But in reali reality, he does. I don't know if you got the same vibes, but this was somehow reminiscent to me of when Lisa Lisa had turned her back on watching uh, or looking at Caesar, the stone that um, trampled Caesar in part two. And then she's trying to light her cigarette 
and it's like backwards. Trying to play it coy. Yeah. Yeah. Like very similar ways that these JoJo characters are are mourning the deaths of their fellow friends. It's kind of like a, a combo of Lisa Lisa and Joseph because the amount of tears just streaming down Polnareff's face mm-hmm. and like the the intense face that Joseph makes um, when he says, Caesar! Yeah. And like just is crying his his whole heart out. That's the same way here with Polnareff because he like has that screaming cry moment at the very last frame of the episode. But then you're right, in the beginning does play it coy the way Lisa Lisa does. Yeah, so it... As George Lucas says, it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> and then uh, last thing I wanted to know, which, uh, you know, we're, we're in a very sad scene. You know, the, the whole thing is um, very emotional. But before that, when Polnareff, Avdol, and Whole Horse are going up against each other, I can only imagine everyone on the street watching that scene unfold, being very confused because they're non-stand users, right? And they just see a guy standing there like he's holding a gun, but they can't see it. <laughs> and then Abdul and Polnareff freaking out over a bullet that they also can't see. And like the bullet's flying in the air. So they're like looking up in the air. They're turning around. They're like, they're jumping, trying to dodge it and shit. And these people are probably like, what are you running from? What is happening? <laughs> see, I can only imagine being a person on the street, seeing this really wacky exchange go down. Yeah, for all they knew, it was probably like an interpretive dance between the trio. <laughs> I think it, it's better than just seeing a ran, like two random characters flying through the air in Egypt. Right? Yeah, nothing's going to top that. The Dio Jotaro fight is probably the weirdest <laughs> thing to witness as a non stand user. Yeah. And that brings us to our final thoughts for part three, episode 10 The Emperor and the Hanged Man, part one. So if this episode were a bullet, was it a hit? or miss for you i love this episode like i said it has a different weight to it there's more substantial activity in this episode that plays into the overall story of part three stardust crusaders it's um great character development for polnareff it's uh i don't know if you call it character development for avdol but i guess maybe it can be that um and we get the introduction of fucking whole horse which is probably one of the best enemies that we have in part three so yeah it's just nice to to deviate 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 from that typical formula of enemy stand user of the week where you know you feel like these things happen and you just move on and there's nothing else that impacts the story here it's like these these actions the things that happen in this episode will play into the story for quite a while until the return of of Abdul. what about you yeah i would say this episode was a hit for me as well uh it showed a dramatic turn of events as we experience the first quote-unquote casualty for the Stardust Crusaders only 10 episodes into part three and as you mentioned we, we get an introduction to the the charismatic and ambiguous antagonist of Whole Horse who every time he has a cameo I always look forward to it in part three um, this episode has that watershed moment for Polnareff as he struggles between avenging his sister's death and protecting the lives of his newfound friends. And you really feel for the guy because it it really comes to a head in this episode. And at the end of it, it places even more of this unimaginable weight on Polnareff's shoulders, having to deal now with the deaths of two of those close to him. It shows that Polnareff is not just Part 3's comic relief, as we're so used to seeing now. There is a humanity and a vulnerability to him that this episode makes sure we don't overlook. But I think overall, the biggest takeaway from this episode is just how strong the series can hold itself when it focuses on these other character stories than that of the main Jojo protagonist in part three, Jotaro, of course, as we kind of collectively mourn Avdol's demise and we fully engross ourselves in wanting to see what Polnareff plans to do next. I can't wait for part two. That's going to be the next one. It's going to be the last one for the part three review series before we jump into Stone Ocean. So look forward to a lot of great stuff that's coming through. It's nice that it it timed out where we could end 
uh, or I guess pause on our part three review series with the second half of this arc because it would feel weird stopping in the middle and then jumping back in with part two of Emperor and Hangman. So we get to kind of close out this this important part of Polnareff's chapter and then we get to go back to Jolene. So look mm-hmm. forward to that. But for now, make sure you pour one out for Avdol, at least for the time being. <laughs> <laughs> he is a real one and... He'll be back. He'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning into another episode of Strictly JoJo. Again, look forward to part two of this arc and then Stone Ocean in the coming weeks. And subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.